Well, it is truly a blessing to be with you again. God gave us another day, another day to serve him, to love him, to be passionate for him. So I look into your eyes and I cannot see into your hearts, but I hope your hearts are expressing what are in your eyes, that you love Jesus and you are excited to be here and that you are hungering and thirsting for more and more of him. There was a man named James Montgomery He wrote several hymns, and I kind of am intrigued by James Montgomery. I'm curious, have you you any of you, does that ring a bell, resonate, James Montgomery? Uh, Just a few, okay. Uh, uh, Not uh, as popular as some of the hymn writers, but he has a special place in my heart. His story is intriguing. He was uh, Scottish. And his father was a minister in the Moravian Church. I don't know if you've read much about the Moravian Church, the Moravian Missions. They probably were involved in a mission movement. Maybe that has been unparalleled like by any others. But uh, back in the day, the Moravians were extremely zealous. Uh, James Montgomery's parents were sent to, to the West Indies. Maybe that's why it's really special to me, because West Indies is a very, very special place in my heart. Both his parents died in service. One was buried in Tobago, one buried in Barbados. Both those islands very close to Grenada, which is uh, much of my heart is at. Unfortunately, James Montgomery strayed from God. And the church, he left. In his youth, and his early life, and he had a lot of wasted years. He came back to God in his 40s. And he wrote a song. His testimony is in a song. I'm guessing you might know it, sing it. Don't think I'm going to take the time to t- turn to it or sing it. I want you to listen. Here's what he wrote in a song, his testimony. He said, People of the living God, I have sought the world around. Paths of sin and sorrow trod, peace and comfort nowhere found. Now to you, my spirit turns, turns a fugitive, unblessed. Brethren, where your altar burns, oh, receive me into rest. How many of you know the song? Okay, just a few. I love the song. I used to think he's, he's uh, talking to the Lord when he said, now to you my spirit turns. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to the people of the living God. He's saying, church, I sought the world around. I chose the paths of sin. I didn't have peace and comfort. Now to you, my spirit turns. So in other words, he tried it, didn't work, didn't find what he was looking for. He was a fugitive. And he he looked back. And I praise God that when he looked back, he saw fire. He did. He said, brethren, where your altar burns, 
receive me back. Isn't that beautiful? I, so I kind of like James Montgomery's songs. Uh, he also wrote uh, Angels from the Realms of Glory, uh, Saints Before the Altar Bending, Altars. We're not too familiar with altars, are we? I'm not leaving. The image of an altar is kind of uh, foreign to us. And I'm not suggesting that we build these in church. You know what I mean? I guess it's okay if I do this. If you lived in the Old Testament, you knew what an altar looked like. And the Bible says in Hebrews, we have an altar, okay? So it's not, it's not an image that is only Old Testament. Uh, we talk about we're a living sacrifice in Romans 12, and we lay on the altar as a living sacrifice. So I, I'd like to talk about an altar this morning, and I'd like to just... Uh, I'd like to ask the question, is your, I'm I'm not going to ask if you have an altar. We we have an altar, but what's the condition of your altar? I'm going to suggest that it's either burning, and if it's burning, you you have an incredible witness. There are multitudes upon multitudes of people that are just looking for fire on altars. And fire on altars will always draw, okay? Now, I'm not going to talk much about strange fire this morning. That would be another subject. There's a lot of people that have been drawn to strange fire and only to realize that a couple years down that road, it's not a road to holiness. It's not the road they even wanted to go. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk, I'm, I'm going to try to reinforce the fact that if you have a if there's some fire in your altar if there if there's a fire burning in your soul you are drawing wanderers towards god and if it's not you're turning people away i there are multitudes upon multitudes of people that have been turned away from Form without fire. Altars that aren't, on, uh, that aren't burning. And I, am, uh, I want to encourage you to examine your altars this morning. So just a little bit of a quick history. Noah gets off the boat, first mentioned. Well, I think it's first mentioned. Uh, Genesis, Cain and Abel, they had sacrifices and so on, but I'm not sure if we actually find the word altar there. Noah gets off the boat. What was he on the boat? Some 370 days? I used to think he was on the boat 40 days. You know, it rained 40 days, 40 nights. He was on the boat 370 days. I don't know if you've been on a boat for uh, a couple days, but a couple days on a boat, it's time to get off the boat, right? 370 days on the boat, gets off the boat, and I think the first thing I'd do is build a house so I don't have to sleep on the boat. You know what he does? He builds an altar. It's beautiful. And there you have Noah. I'm not going to unpack the covenant that God made with Noah, but there it was, it was beautiful. God, God smelled a sweet savor, and he made some promises. There's something beautiful happens when a, man, a godly man has an altar. That was Noah. There was an obedient man with a respect for God. There was an altar, and it was beautiful. 
Uh, maybe I just say this right now. I don't know if you've ever built an altar physically. I had a call from a friend of mine one time, and he says, come with me. I said, where are we going? You're coming with me. Where are we going? Come with me. Okay, we, I came with him. We walked up to the mountain. We went and went and hiked and hiked and hiked. We get to the very top of the mountain, and he had a big pile of stones. He was going through a real difficult time in life, and he just wanted a visual. And I'm, I'm okay with visuals. God seemed to be visuals throughout the Bible, and so my friend just sprawled out and laid over the altar, and he just wanted me to pray for him. Uh, image of an altar. Abraham. That man was... Do you know that Abraham had two, two visuals in his life? Two, two marks. Fo- follow the life of Abraham. You're going to see him marked by an altar and a tent. Check it out. Both are very, very symbolic of his, his entire life. A tent and an altar. His tent reminded him he's not home. He's sojourning. And his altar reminded him of worship. There's a period of time that he didn't have an altar. You know that? He went, to the, uh, he went up to where he was supposed to go, and then he's a little tough times there, and then he traveled down to Egypt. And it's just my opinion, okay? Just my opinion. I don't think he was supposed to go to Egypt. He goes down to Egypt. He comes back with, oh, by the way, down in Egypt, no mention of an altar, not one, none. He comes back, and he was packed with stuff. He did well. He had a lot of stuff. And he gets back, and he comes back, and the first thing you have mentioned when he gets back where he was supposed to be was an altar. I like that. So there's so much more about Abraham and his altar we could, we could go through. Uh, I'm kind of skipping over a few things about the altar. I'm going to suggest that his son, uh, wait, grandson Jacob was, uh, in, uh, he, he knew all about the altar. Let's just drop in for just a second in the Old Testament sacrifice system. Oh, uh, it's kind of interesting to me, the, the study of the tabernacle and the blueprint of the tabernacle. Actually, it, get kind of, it gets kind of boring when I'm reading through the Bible. I don't know if you read through the Bible periodically, but I try to make my periodic uh, travels through the Bible, and then I get to the... Actually, the genealogies are kind of mm, uh, difficult to read, (laughs) but then it comes to the blueprint of the the tabernacle, and it's like, at least the the genealogies are a chapter. Then you get to the blueprint of the tabernacle, and it's like chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of... Oh, I can say that God is interested in details. <laughs> and he's, very, he's a very detailed God. He's a or, God of order. Uh, well, the details of the, of the uh, temple and the, the portable tabernacle and the permanent temple are, are in, interesting, but the, the altar is intriguing to me. Uh, you can step into the outer court and you step right into a a brazen altar that's basically seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet by all but five feet high. And, you know, that's where God called people that had, that acknowledged their sin, that were honest. God invited the honest. That's what it was. And the honest people were supposed to bring something that without blemish, they were supposed to bring it willingly. That was specified. Nothing forced. Willingly, 
Then they, this actually touches my heart, they bring their sacrifice. We could talk about some uh, specifications of the sacrifice, but I'll omit that. They would, bring the, they would bring their sacrifice, and then he was to lay his hand on the head of the animal he brought, and he was to kill it. And I, I just, I don't know if you ever stopped there and pictured that. I'm not really into, uh, I don't think I'm going to ever be a butcher, okay, put it that way. I don't think I, and they maybe have more humane ways to take the life than they did back then, but they, the man would put his hand on the head and then take his other hand and, and, and just like, don't tell me there was some real loud sounds from the animal. Don't tell me that there wasn't uh, uh, some gushes and rushes and splashes of, hopefully this isn't, make anybody woozy. It, it, it was at those times where it was supposed to touch the heart at the altar. Substitutionary sacrifice. I did wrong. The death happened in my place. And I'm guessing they went to the altar and some went home and they, I'm going to suggest that there were maybe lighthearted ones yeah, just kind of went through the motions and did it, and oh, they're back again the next week. Just kind of, it, it, I'm going to guess that it didn't accomplish what it was supposed to in the heart. I think God had an intention, go through, do all that, and it was going to touch the heart. Then I bet, I'll bet there was sensitive ones that did it, right like they were supposed to, and went home, and I just can't believe it. I just can't believe that that actually put a, a, covered my, what I did wrong. But I wonder if there were those that did it, and it just touched the heart, and it just, and it, it affected them. I'm not suggesting that that process was equivalent to the New Testament, uh, what, what the blood of Jesus does, but I'm just guessing there were, there, there were varied attitudes at the altar. Well, maybe the most fascinating one is in, in, in 1 Kings 18. Israel's history is, an, is a very fascinating account. There were good kings, there were bad kings. There was Solomon, his heart was drawn away. You know Solomon, he had, he had four issues actually. One was work, one was wisdom, one was wine, and one was women. He had other issues too. But uh, he laments in Ecclesiastes that basically vanity, vexation, spirit, hated my life. Uh, we could talk about wasted life. Maybe he would have been one of the best examples of, of it. But... But uh, like I said, good kings and bad kings uh, uh, were, were uh, trickle, trickled all over Israel's landscape, and many of them adopted the very heathen practices, and some of them actually erected altars to heathen gods. They did. Some of them put groves and altars to heathen, not to the God of heaven, but to heathen gods. That's basically beyond me. Uh, well, King Ahab brought it on like no other king. It says that he was above, above all above all others, he was the, the worst. Or maybe, was it his wife? I'm not sure. Jezebel. You know the story. That's another, that's another subject. Ahab and Jezebel and enter a man at that moment, and his name was Elijah. You know the story? I don't know if you feel your calling is difficult, but uh, I don't know if I, how I would have held up as if I would have had Elijah's calling. He stepped into a very difficult, difficult situation with a, a difficult message. And one day, they go up to Mount Carmel. I'm just kind of really skipping uh, 
skipping over, over so much, but they go up to Mount Carmel, and it was a great test. It was a showdown, if you will, 450 against one, and they both prepare their altar. I, I, I kind of, I was reading over it this morning, and I was, I actually caught myself chuckling, <laughs> because I don't think we should use mockery in the kingdom, but I think there is a time to use a little bit of uh, godly sarcasm, and you know the story, from morning till noon, the false prophets of Baal were calling and chanting and doing this and leaping on the altar, and oh my, and Elijah, he kind of, it says he mocked them. Hey, cry a little louder. He might be chatting on the, no, he's, he might be talking. He could be pursuing, different ideas about that. Uh, he, maybe he's away. Maybe hey, he could be sleeping. <laughs> he's having, I don't know. Well, I don't know what you think of Elijah about that, but that's what he was doing. That's, that's a fact. That's, that's, that's what he did. Like I said, I'm not sure if that's, uh, I didn't find that to be my calling too many times, although I enjoy having a good time. That's what Elijah was doing. Well, it didn't work. Not, oh, there's a, so much more to the story. They started cutting themselves and doing all sorts of rituals and and dances, and loudness, and this, and that, and so on. And then in verse 30 of 1 Kings 18, Elijah, it's his turn. The false prophets didn't have anything to offer, like they they never do. And Elijah said to the people, said, come near. So I would really love to get the entire church. I don't know how many are here this morning and just make a big circle around here, but I can't. That's the, that's the setting. He said, just come, come a little closer. Come. Everybody come in. And then the next verses in the Bible are very, uh, they break my heart. They do. And I want them to break your heart too. It says, after Elijah came, said, come near. All the people come near. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That's sad. That's very sad. That's supposed to break our hearts. Come, 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 come. And he takes the altar and he repairs it. He puts it back up. He erects the altar and there it is. And now he has undivided attention. And then he... I'm not going to try to unpack the entire story, but he gets 12 stones, and they are very symbolic of the sun. He he basically takes them all the way back to the beginning. Not Not 10 tribes, not the divided kingdom. He goes back to 12. And, you know, back to the, the initial altar where their heart was soft, the very beginnings, if you will. The moment where you went to the cross. The moment that everything was tender in Israel's history. Twelve tribes. And he puts them all back together and then he puts everything in order. He puts the wood in order, cut the bullock in pieces and they douse it and they douse it again and they douse it the third time and the water was running all around the trenches and it was pretty obvious that this is no, uh, I guess I'm told that there was some foul play 
Uh, there were some strange fires. There were some, quote, magicians and people that tried to do the show. And uh, he's convincing everybody that this is no, no games here. This is, this is the real deal. This is the God of heaven. Everything's doused with water. And then he's, he don't have a dance. He don't have a loud voice. He don't have a ritual. He don't sing one chorus 15 times. He doesn't have anything to drum up emotion. He says, God hear me that the people can know. Do you, do you hear his heart? I want the people to know you're the God of heaven. And the fire of God came down and fell. And you know the story. I, there was an altar on fire. My brother, my sister, things have not changed. You show me a simple sacrifice. You show me an honest heart. You show me a heart that wants, that says from the bottom of his heart, I just want to live a life that people know that you're the God of heaven. That's all I want. I'm telling you, if that's you this morning, it is inevitable that at the fire of God, the fire of God is going to fall and consume. And it'll consume your flesh. It'll consume your, you know, I'm, I'm talking spiritually. We, we know Romans 12 so well. I beseech you, brethren, by, by the mercies of God that you present yourself, that you, that you lay on the altar, present yourself a living sacrifice, well able to get off, able to, but choosing to live a, a live sacrifice presented to God. It's only reasonable. That's your reasonable service. Don't, in that setting, you're, you, you won't be conformed to the world. You won't. You'll have such a, a God bent towards you. And that's, that, that's the fire. The fire is, is consuming all the earthly, all the earthly within me, dead to sin, dead to the world. There you lay. That's, it's, it's a, and I want to tell you, brother, sister, it draws, it draws, it draws the fugitive, it draws the wonder, it draws, it draws. That's what I want your uh, heart to be burning with today. So, what does that look like? What does that really look like? We have an altar. If I may, if I may, may I offer a few suggestions? of what it looks like in 2023 when an altar is burning. I already alluded to Romans 12. Oh, by the way, I could hardly contain myself. I jotted the number down, but I don't know where I jotted it. But I jotted the number down. We were singing this morning. I don't know if it... Sometimes I sing songs, I have no idea what I'm singing. My mind's la, 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 la. You don't, you don't get that, but I, that, that happens to me. But this morning when we sang, take my life and let it be, there's nothing left. And I, I stopped singing for a little bit. I'm not sure if I, I, I'm not even sure if I can sing it. Take my silver, take my gold, not a mite, would I, would I withhold? To, wow. How's your altar? Is there anything broken down? 
How's your personal altar? Is it a life of sacrifice? Is everything on the altar, is everything you've been entrusted with on the altar, is your precious Isaac, you waited a hundred years and now you got him? I'll do it, Lord, whatever. Am I there? Are you there? Surrender, the dearest gift. I don't think for a minute that it's wrong to enjoy gifts that God gives you, okay? I tell, or my, my conviction is, hold everything with a very open hand. Hold every, and even your request, hold them with a very open hand. The minute we go like this, and it's so easy to do. It's so easy to do. Open hand. Are you there? Obedience. First of all, surrender. This is, this, is what a, uh, this is what a personal altar that's on fire looks like. There's surrender. There's obedience. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I don't know what you do when you read the Bible, but and I don't do well at reading the Bible. I'll be honest with you. There are times where I just struggle in, in just really connecting. One of the disciplines that has helped me tremendously is one time, I don't know who told me, go through the Bible and underline every command that you find. And you know, do you know that you can put all, every, everything in the Bible in about three categories? Number one, it's either a fact to believe, a promise to obey, or a command to, I'm sorry, a promise to claim or a command to obey. And the facts and the promises are very close. But, you know, for instance, uh, the creation, try obeying the creation. You can't. There's so many facts, all you can do is believe it. And one time I, I, I got the New Testament done. Actually, it's in this Bible right here. Every command in the New Testament is, has red ink under it. I may have missed some, but it takes a very careful journey through. But what's really uh, connecting is when every time you get the red ink out and every command that you come to, and by the way, the commands are few. Sometimes I read, a, go to, I think it's Ephesians. I read Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2. And I didn't come to red ink yet. You just, just believe it. Just believe it. And then the end of Ephesians, you got some red ink. But every time you get red ink, then what am I, how did this affect my life? Try it. Obedience. Surrender. Obedience. Another practical way that we can look if your altar is on fire is, is, is how... I... I need the mirror again. This is just to me. You can listen in. How's my quiet time? How is it? I'm talking about the altar. Personal altar, how is it? When you pray, close your door, shut the door. Too many times we live in a very busy world. We just don't shut the door. We don't do like Jesus did, rising up a great while before day. Went out into a solitary place there he prayed. He was accustomed to doing that. Do I, when I sing Sweet Hour of Prayer, ooh, maybe I should adjust that song a little bit. We, ought to make, we, we need more modern hymns. I love to steal a while away from every cumbering care I spend the hour of setting. Now let's adjust. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking to myself. 
I treasure the gift of godly men that have spoken to my life, and none of them really came to me and said, hey, here's, here's, my, here's my devotional life. But sometimes I traveled with them, and I'll still remember the one instance I looked out one day, and there he goes, songbook in one hand, Bible in the other hand. There he went. He came back a long time later. Ah, I wonder if there's a connection to what I've seen in his life. I wonder if something happened in the songbook and the Bible time. What would happen if I would set serious goals? Here's my daily. So this is my altar. Here's my daily. Once a week, I'm going to carve out a little more. Once a month, I'm going to, I can slice out this in a month. And maybe even once a year, I can have a day of solitude. Or you know, That's between you and the Lord. Secondly, I want to... I wanna, I wanna, encourage you to examine another altar. We have, we have several altar, altars. I just kind of coined a, four, coined a few, about four. Those of you that are married, we talk about the marriage altar. And here we discuss the fabric of the home. I'm telling you, this one affects, I am, the older I get, the more I realize that this affects the home far more than anyone will ever know. And this will affect the church more than anyone will ever know. This will affect the community more than anyone will ever know. This will affect the nation more than anyone will ever know. In fact, it's going to affect the whole world more than anyone will ever know. You show me a marriage altar that's got a pretty hot fire on it, and I'll tell you some really, really good things that are happening within the entire sphere of their influence. Because we're discussing the picture that Jesus gave of him and the church. That's why it's so big. I said some pretty strong things already, but I didn't backpedal on this one yet. That almost implies that I expect to. No, I don't expect to. I've said I'd rather fail in any area of life rather than my marriage. And sometimes... Polly feels like we are failing. <laughs> we, are, we, we, have, we have our bad days, just like you do. But by God's grace, we've always, always been able to come back. And I want to say that I am far more in love in our, working on our anniversary number 33 than I was going into our first anniversary. It, it is so big. I'd rather fail in business. I'd rather even... I mean, it's all connected, so I kind of hate to say this, but I'd rather fail in business or ministry or whatever. It, it's one area that I just, I want to I encourage you to be very jealous and zealous about. I, over the years, have noticed that there are some couples that are thriving and there are couples that are surviving. And trust me, don't, don't think for a minute that we that my wife and I are just perfect. Uh, I'm going to just be blunt. I'm going to be honest, okay? Can I do that? I, I, I might, I don't think I'll regret it. I'm talking to a safe group. But yeah, there have been times where we slept with our backs towards each other, right? You don't have no idea what that means. You, you three-day stalemate. Anybody beat that wreck? No. I'm telling you, it's real. It's real in marriage humans in every relationship and trust me sometimes i wonder why 
Why is it so, so wonderful yet so hard? Because the closest relationships, you have so much more expectations. And that's why I don't really have that great expectation between me and my neighbor, right? Uh, but I, I have very, and you do too. Anybody that got married made that kind of commitment. You have high expectations. And that's why it's, it can be so hard. But it is a, a tremendous blessing. I have been so inspired by some couples that I have, have uh, I, I work in various homes and I still, I, sometimes I wish I would have started a book. Uh, lessons on the job. Uh, wisdom cries from the streets. That'd be more spiritual, right? Wisdom cries from the streets. Uh, Proverbs 8, is it? And just so many things that just God speaks to you through the day. I remember I was talking to, I was working in an old couple's home for about a day and a half. Should have only taken me a day because I was listening. Oh, eavesdropping way too much. They talked really, really loud. They were both hard of hearing. So they unpacked their whole lives for a day and a half. And I just, I just, I just, I just drank it all in. They were so inspiring. Actually, when I left their place, I said, I just, what is it? What is it that made you at 87 years old and you just are a perfect picture of love? And they gave me a couple, couple, couple little pointers, but and that was just a, such, such a blessing. And then I also worked in another home. And there was a decision to make about tile and uh, the, the, the man was working up in the attic and the woman said, uh, I probably should get, uh, I'll, I'll call him Joe. Joe's opinion. Joe, come down. He comes down with insulation on him and the, he was, okay, what do you want? Uh, we got a decision. Uh, do this, this, this. He said, I don't really care. I'd probably suggest this. And it was what I thought, too. And she said, eh, I don't think so. Uh, go back in the attic. I thought, uh, yeah, there's a verse about the attic. Better to dwell in the attic than, uh, than uh, anyway, you know, the, you know the rest of the verse. She called her neighbor friend, and they put their heads together, and they made the decision. Wh- wisdom cries from the street. Uh, what's my point? My point is, the marriage altar. How's your marriage? If you, you know, it'd be a really good exercise. I gave you a little homework. Both of you take a little, don't, you don't have to do it now. Do it sometime in the next week. Find a little quiet time, you and your wife. And you write down, uh, I'm going to rate my marriage one to ten. One bad, ten good. Ten hot flame, one pretty, next thing to the freezer. Put, put a number there. And then compare them. Sometimes you do those things at some marriage seminars. I don't know if you ever devoted about a day and a half or two days or three days to just marriage, marriage all day, this thing. Some really, really good questions that Joyce and I have wrestled through in every aspect of your marriage. Even the parts of the marriage that we don't often talk about openly. But just to have an honest conversation, so healthy. I wonder what... If your wife is saying two, do you want to know it? Or do you want to ignore it? If your husband says two, do you want to know it? Wives love to be treasured, cherished. She wants a leader, she wants a protector, she wants a provider. She needs help with the children. A woman is usually forgiving. I don't know if we've ever gotten on our knees before our whole family and said, can you just pray for me? If you want respect to soar, not only in marriage but in the home, try it.
hopefully. Oh, and men have their needs as well. A man needs a, a woman by his side to give counsel, to give... I'm learning that she, my wife gives a lot more counsel than I've ever gave her credit for. One word to a wife, respect. That man, when you respect him, <laughs> that guy's going to the moon. I'm serious. I've seen it over and over. Just respect him. A woman needs love. One of her greatest needs, and one of, the greatest, one of the greatest needs of a man is respect. Well, we could talk about love languages and, and so many more things, but well, I'd love to drop into the Song of Solomon for a little bit. Did you know the Song of Solomon is the best song? He wrote a thousand songs, but that one's the best. That's why it's called the Song of Songs. And that is a tremendous book, but it's very real. It's not all rosy, cozy, mushy, gushy. There's a chapter five. You read chapter five in Song of Solomon? They lived in a real world like everybody else does. Yeah, you can unpack that one. It didn't go so well for them, but, they may, but they, they, it all turned out really good. How is your marriage altar? How's your family altar? I'm going to just zero in on the men a little bit. How's your family altar? In the, in the midst of a busy life, I, and I know, it's hard, it's hard. I used to think it was hard when the children were little. Wait till they, wait till they are teenagers, and then your, and then your uh, dining room table almost seems like the runway at O'Hare Airport. You know what I mean? Drumming and going and going and going. And it's so busy, coming, going, coming, going. And, but I don't care what it looks like. It, 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 in your home, do you have something established that there's an altar there, that, there, that there's worship. Whatever it looks like, however it looks like, I'm very, very flexible, but I, it's a time that you need. Deuteronomy 6 says, teach diligently. I have uh, just maybe little, two little snapshots. One, I was working with a man. I, sometimes you're in situations where you don't know where to start. He had a, a, a large family that it, it was, I honestly had no, I had no idea where to start with him. And I said, here's what you do. Set, try this every night. Set your children down. And he could. They didn't have license yet. Set them down and just say, I'm, I'm going to read the Bible. If you don't know anything else to do, just read the Bible. Read one verse and pray. Start there. He said, I can't. They'll laugh at me. And it dawned on me. I didn't say this. But it dawned That's That's what you earned. You earned that. That didn't just happen. I don't know if it ever happened that, I mean, I get laughed at a lot, you know, when I try to do things that try to keep up with my youth, but, but when he earned it, just like Lot did. Lot got spiritual one day, and they laughed at him. And if it's not, if that's broken down, start. At least take the first block or actually it's the first block down there, and ju- just start. I don't care if it's two minutes. Start. Sometimes family devotions are one minute in our house. Sometimes, sometimes they just go on and on and on. That's what, you, get, you break the ice and just people start talking. How's your family altar? 
I remember one of the, one of the rip scenes that are riveted in my mind is in our home church. There was an evangelist came and he spent a whole message talking about the family altar. Whole message. And he was a very soft-spoken evangelist that just was a very heartfelt man. And I'll never forget. He come to the end of his message and he, he got over in the corner of the church and he said, does anybody want to come and join me? I, one by one by one by one. And that dear man just put his hands out and he just prayed. That seems riveted. Lastly, is so personal altar, marriage altar, family altar. This might be a stretch, but I'm going to call it the church altar. I don't, you know, Jesus talks about when you come to the altar and you bring your gift, and we're kind of okay with that picture. I don't know what how you make all the applications, but when you come together as a body, I think what it means. And then I realize that I got an issue with somebody. It almost implies that Jesus said, just don't come and do your pretense. Go and make peace and then come and offer your gift. And I'm not sure what all that looks like, but I'm going to call this last point the church altar. And I just want to encourage you here. I just want to encourage you, brother, sister, to give everything you can to the, the analogy of the human body. Paul spoke about that in many of his letters. He gave that picture of the, of the church as a body. I have a, I have a friend, a neighbor that fought in the 1990, what war was it? The Persian, Persian Gulf War, George, yeah, George Bush. And he was gone for a while and he came back and I remember the day he had knocked on my door and he says, I'm back uh, in his camo, in his uniform and I wasn't quite sure how to respond. I said, Welcome home, thank you, thank you, that's what I did. And they said, come on over sometime, I'm going to show you some pictures. And, you know, yeah, okay, I went over and I saw some pictures and I, I you know, I have my viewpoints and uh, that's not my subject. And, and here's, I remember him flipping the page and he, he showed the desert, the, the, the Persian Gulf, the desert, and he said, look, right there. He said, that's a hand. And my heart sank. The hand. And that's riveted, just like some of those, uh, some, you know, some things are just riveted in your mind. That's riveted. And I call that, that memory the hand in the sand. That hand was once attached prior to the war to a human body. And now, well, when that picture was taken, there was the hand in the sand detached from the body. And it grieved my heart. But you know what almost grieves my heart more? Is when there's detached there's detachments. When we lose the body concept, when we lose the, my toe hurts, we all feel it. Everybody, and I, I know, and, and I want to be so gentle, gentle. Uh, I know I've probably really failed sometimes. I've, I've had, uh, we've had evangelists come to our church on Sunday morning, and, you know, Sunday morning usually, uh, uh, well, and sometimes in our church, twice the attendance, and you know, you know what I'm saying. And and sometimes maybe they made some mistakes that I oh, just be careful, be careful. Just almost a, a scolding. Uh, and I I I'm not here to scold anybody. I don't think there will ever be. Uh, I don't think you gain anything by scolding. 
Let me say it like this. I love my father. Some of you know my father. I have never in my entire life one time heard my dad say, well, I don't, shall we go to church today? Never. It never one time was a question. Never, absolutely never. I'm going to say it like this. I have so many needs. It is my goal to never ever, ever have one of my children one time in their entire life hear me say the same. I want to continue the legacy. It did something to me. Much more is caught than taught. That's my encouragement. The church altar. Every person is so important. I'm in, I love to play sports. I love to watch my children play sports. Some of them have played in basketball games in their high school. And I remember it was nail biters. Maybe my wife doesn't even like to go to those games. <laughs> it's too intense. I love it. I love to sit down at the very end. And, is it, and you know what? I just can hardly stand when it's on the line in the last minute and you have one person on the team that just, comes out and just, you know, you know, like, ho, ho, hum, you know, maybe it's a baseball game, and they, they stand there like, if I hit it, I, no, I want everybody to, in the sports, I'll, give it your all, I, I don't know, that's just me, I'm, I'm okay with my young people giving it their all, they got to be good losers, don't get me wrong, they got to be good losers, and they got to learn to win and lose and all of that, but give it your all, Every single person on a sports team adds to the big picture, and so it is in the church. Sometimes when people come to me and I sit down with them and we talk about uh, membership and part of the church, and I say, okay, just, you know, there's a wattage. I, like, I use the word wattage. There's a wattage here, and every person contributes to the wattage. What kind of wattage? I don't know if I quite said it like this, but I try to, in a nice, kind, roundabout way, say, what kind of wattage are you planning to bring? Examine your altar. I went a little longer than I wanted to. Family altar, church altar. I didn't ask what time you close. I guess nobody's running home to get their, uh, their beans aren't burning because the beans are over there. Maybe, maybe there's somebody here this morning that they know and this is this is this is gentle. I'm I'm about as I, I should be talking from down here, right? Maybe you're here, and you you know there's a there's there's a block. You're not bad. It doesn't have to define you. But until you come to the point and say yes, I will. Maybe it's your personal time. Maybe it's your quiet time. Maybe it relates to surrender. Maybe it, maybe it relates to obedience. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's us busy dads and... <sighs> yeah, the family altar, it, it, needs, it needs some repair. And I'm not trying to lift up a standard that's unattainable. Maybe it's a contribution to the body I'm going to do something a little different so I'm going to just I'm going to close with prayer 
I'm going to invite anybody. It's going to be total silence, no song, every eye closed, and we're going to be praying. I'm going to, get, I'm going to give it about 30 seconds. If you want to come right up beside me, or in the, anywhere in the front, just on your knees, and with a commitment in your mind, I will. Not, not general, not the cloud of condemnation, but a specific, I will. God spoke, I will. Come and join me.